Everybody ready for some word today? Let's go to Romans chapter 5. Romans the fifth chapter. Let's get into some stuff. Let's hear from God. What do you say? Romans the fifth chapter. Today let's continue a series that we began a few weeks ago called True Love. Everybody say true love. How about the rest of you? Come on now. This is a full participation service. We believe in Bible toters, word speakers, come on, ears that hear, eyes that see. Don't let someone else do your shouting for you. Don't let someone else do your praying for you. Be a contributing part to this service with your faith, with your excitement. I mean, know the Word of God works for those who are excited about it. Come on now, if a person could care less, man, you're in trouble, dude. Nothing's going to work for you. All right, Romans chapter 5 and verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're talking about His own love. This is the God kind of love. This is true love. God's love toward us has been shown and demonstrated in Jesus dying on the cross for us. But He did this while we were in an undeserving state. While we were yet sinners, the Scripture said, He died for us. And so, we've been discussing and basically defining this true love to the end that we can do what the Scripture says and keep ourselves in the love of God. Alright, we're going to come back to that later on, but how can I keep myself in something if I don't even know what that something is? If I've, if I've had love defined by the world, by the culture, by others around me who didn't even know God. My Bible tells me that God is love, and so I need to know Him. When I know Him, I know love. When I know love, I know Him, because they are really the same. And so we've been looking at various examples, both on the positive and the negative side, in the Bible from uh, individuals who were, like one guy we looked at, he became love sick. Remember that? Well, that's not the kind of love we're interested in. <laughs> and, and, and we've been looking at Jesus. And it's interesting, I've, I've taught this subject a number of times over the years, and it's always my intention to take a fresh approach when I hit a subject that I know I've taught before, even if it's been, you know, a, a matter of years since I've done, done so. And I've been led down this path where I'm tackling most of this subject from a different angle and looking at a lot of it, again, the life of Jesus and Him doing things that on, surf, on the surface view, many would look at it and say, well, that doesn't look like love. But yet we know because of His sinless life, because of His character, that it was love. Last week we were, we were talking about how Jesus went into the temple and uh, He made this whip and started whipping and turning tables over and, and people had turned that place into a den of thieves and it was supposed to be a house of prayer. And that was a, an, a manifestation of the love of God. 
But yet it didn't look like that, but it really was. And so we want to have a full understanding and accurate, clear perception and and view of what true love really is. I was reading recently about the the incidents with uh, Lazarus. Remember when the, the guy Lazarus who died, it's John chapter 11, and, and then Jesus showed up there, and you, if you know the whole story, he was dead for four days, and then he was raised from the dead, and, and, and quite, uh, you know, some good situation going on there. But reading prior to that, I was reading this in the, the New Living Translation, which is not what I generally teach out of, other than maybe a few quotes, but I, I was looking at this and it said there, I'll just point that out, this out, John eleven thirty three. when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people, people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him. You know, last week we were talking about how, how uh, in order to love God, you must also hate sin. And how there are times when when a person should be angry with certain things, and it's a righteous anger, righteous indignation that we have. It's not the fleshly kind uh, where we're just always upset at people. No, we're the happiest people around, but there's some things we just don't put up with, we just don't accept, and they actually make us angry. And reading this, I saw uh, that Jesus, he, he was there was a deep anger that welled up within him, and and he was deeply troubled. The footnote in that Bible says he was angry in his spirit. Now, how many know Jesus is not getting in the flesh here, but there was something about this situation that was unacceptable to him. And on the inside, something rose up in him. It was a, it was a deep anger. You know what the result was? Yeah, someone just got raised from the dead as a result. How many interested in any, in any deep anger today? <laughs> Come on. I read, kept reading verse 38 said, Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. <laughs> so Jesus didn't deal with your anger yet, did you? Uh, no. <laughs> he was about to release it. You know how it came out? Lazarus, come forth. See, he was angry at the right thing and it resulted in God coming on the scene and the power of God being demonstrated. And so we should, I mean, it's a valid question for us to ask, what are we angry about? So I'm not angry about anything. You might want to start. You might want to stir some up. Not talking fleshly anger, not talking uh, you living in unforgiveness and all bitterness and no, 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 but being angry at the wrong thing, being, being not accepting of evil, of wrong, of the work of the devil. These, it's necessary for us to, to have this type of deep something. Uh, that, that word just jumps out at me. He was deeply troubled. He was deeply angry at what was going on. Not just a surface level, I don't really like this so much. I think that's where a lot of Christians live. Surfacy. Just off the top. Their relationships are all surfacy because they don't get into the, the good stuff. The depth of what God intended both in our walk with Him and in our dealings with life. We've got to go a little bit deeper. Uh, what's happening on the inside of you? Are you, uh, are you deeply moved about things or, or can you live with problems? You know, if we, if we train ourselves to live with or put up with problems, we will live with and put up, pro- up with problems. 
There are individuals that, that have learned to accept certain physical abnormalities and problems and diseases, and they've adapted to live with them. Well, no condemnation, you know, but you know what? You will live with them. But there are others who get fed up and say, no, I'm not going to have this anymore. This is not right. This is contrary to the word and plan and promise of God, and I will not put up with it. And when something grabs hold of us from the inside, it is welling up deep within us, we're about to see a change. I'm not interested in a message that makes us all say, oh yeah. And then we go on with life. But rather a message that we say, I believe this and I believe it. And it's, it manifests in a changed life, a changed emotion, a changed body, a changed situation. I want to have God on the scene in my life. But it, things are, they can't just remain as surfacy. Like, yeah, that's a good idea. I kind of like that. You know, I've wondered for a, a, a long period of time about Israel when they were in Egypt if you read back in Exodus, I want to read you a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 2. But Israel was in Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt. If you know history, they were slaves there for a long time. I mean hundreds of years, generation after generation. That's just how they were born. It's how they grew up. It's how they died. They were slaves. That's not a fun situation, is it? But at the end of that, you know, when, when Moses came on the scene and, and they eventually were delivered and they went to the promised land, what changed? Why all of a sudden was a deliverer raised up? And I was reading, you can look at this with me if you'd like. It's Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time. Obviously, right? Process of time. That the king of Egypt died. Then, everybody say then. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. When did they groan? After a long time. After the other king died. Then they groaned because of the bondage and they cried out. When did they cry out? Then. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. And for a while, you know, a long time I've thought about that. I thought... Why did you hear them then? I mean, they've been there for a while. They've been slaves for a long time. Beatings have been happening. I mean, a pretty pathetic life. And these are your people. These are their covenant people. You called Abraham. And here they are, slaves for all this time. There is something about a deep cry. There is something about when people get to a place in their life and their groan is, it, it is no longer acceptable. Where their life as is, is no longer okay with them. And it goes deeper. It comes from another place. And now they groan. And now they cry out. And there's something about it reaching that place that what happens... They get God's attention. And He remembers His covenant. And, and, and God looked upon them. When? Then. God acknowledged them. When? Then. But as long as people 
kind of put up with life, and yeah, this is not the best scenario, but, you know, at least it's better than so-and-so, and at least it's better than this situation. And, and people justify their short of God's glory life. And I think I've done it. I think all of us have probably done it. We've accepted a life that comes short of God's glory. It's less than what He wants. It's beneath this amazing plan where we are walking with Him in fellowship, hearing His voice, operating in His grace and power on a regular basis. just just normal life. And we've thought, well, I don't have it too bad. I mean, i got a place to live. i can got a nice job. Everything's okay. Yeah, i got this growth hanging off me, but, you know, or... You know, my, you know, my kids are on drugs, but not the really bad ones. And, and uh, you know, my wife doesn't like me, but, you know, she's still hanging around. And you know what I mean? Well, just kind of accepting and being okay with stuff that's not amazing. Why should we? Why should we? Look at all the promises of God. When's there, when are we going to have some groaning in the house? Come on now, somebody groan. <laughs> What do I mean by that? It's just something that's like Jesus was deeply angry at that situation. Said, we're not going to have it this way. And there come Lazarus up from the dead. Hallelujah. All right. Back on into the New Testament. You know Jesus said this because this is the love of God. This is what we're talking about. Uh, Love is strong. Love is not wimpy. Love is not weak. Love is a strong thing. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now think about it. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about the real deal. All right, We're talking about love that will lay its life down for another. We'll talk, we're talking about love that will confront evil. We're talking about love that will speak the truth. This is the kind of love, uh, you know, we are to be the kindest, most giving people on the planet. But this kind of love will not be rolled over either. It'll not be rolled over by lies and hypocrisy. This is, this is a, a, a deep love that we're to be operating in. It's very serious. It's very real. It's profound. It's, it, 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 ha, it has a depth to it. Look with me at Luke chapter 13. Luke the 13th chapter. Looking some more at, at, at the Lord Jesus and how He dealt with individuals, how He dealt with certain people. Because we know, again, Jesus was the happiest person on the planet. We know that. He was anointed with the oil of gladness, right? He, he, he was smiling a lot. He was laughing He was enjoying life. He was having a good time. This was Jesus. Uh, He was very compassionate. Remember, he was moved with compassion to Israel. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, He was moved with compassion to heal people. He was forgiving of those caught in sin. I mean, he's he's a a man. Come on now. He's, He's got it all together. He would be your best friend. And by the way, he can be. Jesus, though, was not, like I said, he was not shallow or superficial in this love, there were situations that he would stand against. In Luke 13, look at this, 1331. On that day, some Pharisees came saying to him, Get out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus was scared, and he ran away. And he said, What am I going to do? Herod's after me. 
Huh? Is that what he said? No. Jesus didn't cower in fear. He didn't back off because someone was coming against him. He didn't say, well, you know, send King Herod a message that, you know, I'm praying for him and he's doing a really good job and I just love him. And uh, hmm, love to have dinner sometime if he's available. Look at Jesus' response. And he said to them, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I shall be perfected. Hmm. You know, a fox is a, a, a cunning, a sly creature. You know, he was preying on Jesus. It's very likely that what was going on here, Herod was just trying to scare him. It's very likely that this message was given. So Herod's out for you. Herod's coming after you, thinking Jesus is go, you know, oh, I better change my direction. I better stop doing what I'm doing. Herod's after me. How many know Jesus? Don't get me wrong. Was Herod a powerful person in their day? Absolutely. He could take anyone's life at his will. And they, he did horrible things. But Jesus was not afraid of it. Love, there's no fear in love. He was not afraid of that. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't backing down. We mentioned this before, but, you know, Jesus said in John 10 about himself, he said, no one takes my life, I lay it down. People say, who killed Jesus? Well, in reality, no one. I mean, I know they did, but he volunteered. He suffered and died on our behalf, but he volunteered for the mission. He laid his life down. He wasn't, he wasn't subject, even though, even when he, they arrested him and they took him. It's not like he's subject to them. See, that's not the way he was. That's not the way he is. And he is love. And Herod's trying to intimidate him, saying, You're t- Herod's coming after you, Jesus. It's like, oh, ooh, Herod's coming after me. He's got a plan to get you. Well, I've got a plan. I'm here to heal. I'm here to cast demons out. I'm here to be perfected on the third day. This is the it's Jesus saying, this is what I'm here, I'm here to do, so let's get on with it. Amen. So what am I saying? Jesus is strong. The love of God is, is very strong. Jesus used strong words towards certain individuals. Of course, very compassionate and merciful, but what about when he dealt with hypocrites? L- look at Matthew 23. Matthew, the 23rd chapter. You could read this whole chapter and read a whole list of pretty strong statements. But notice verse 27. 23, 27. I'll pick one out. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Well, that's not nice, Jesus. Uh, How about just saying... You know, consistency problems. No. He said, whoa, we got in their face. He said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. See, see, see the Lord had strong words. Was he operating in love? Absolutely he was. Absolutely. He wasn't just concerned about everyone applauding him after his sermon, after what he was teaching. He got in their face and loved them enough to tell them like it is. Because they were hypocrites before, and they would have been hypocrites if he had not said anything. 
the only option for them, for them to have some positive change in their life, is for someone to look them in the eye and tell them like it is. Everybody listening to me now? Remember uh, uh, the proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. The Pharisees probably didn't, uh, these guys, uh, Pharisees and scribes, they probably didn't know it, but Jesus was their best friend, even though he was getting on their case about their hypocrisy. And so Jesus was a strong person. Love is strong. Love is not being super sweet to everybody. Some of the most conniving, devious, stab you in the back kind of people will also be super sweet. They'll smile really big. And meanwhile, they've got a knife behind their back. And they're about to take you out. They're about to hurt you. But on the surface, oh, they must really be a nice person. That's what they want you to think. Now, what am I saying? That we shouldn't smile? And No, we should be the most smiling, laughing, enjoying life group of people on the planet. Shouldn't we? Yeah. But know also that there is some fake stuff out there. There are some phony balonies, and if we're, if we're living in, abiding in the love of God, we're not beyond calling it out, acknowledging, recognizing it, and, and Jesus did that with people. Let's not be fooled by, by, the, by the super sweet, the super slick, you know, that this kind of hypocrisy that exists sometimes even in church. I, didn't, I don't know if everyone realizes that not everyone in here is perfect, but... Uh, uh, a lot of times that kind of stuff, some phony baloney happens in church. Again, I think people have accepted relationships that are shallow, relationships that are all surfacy, because it's sometimes uncomfortable to deal with the real issues. Sometimes uncomfortable to really get down and, and tell someone you love them, but it's not sugar-coated. Go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians the second chapter, Paul wrote this book uh, to the Galatians. And Paul, of course, not Jesus, not can't say he was sinless and perfect, but highly used of God and much more developed than probably a majority of Christians around. Uh, he had some revelation. How did Paul deal with situations where some things were being phony and fake and not dealing with right. Let's look at Galatians 2.11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. Who did that? Paul did. He withstood Peter. How? To his face. Well, Paul, you just need to get back in love here. No, he was doing this in the love of God. He withstood him to his face. Why? Well, because he was to be blamed. Well, if he was to be blamed, someone's got to be strong enough to call it like it is. To say what is true. And so Paul did. History tells us that he was kind of a short guy. I don't know how, Paul Pe how tall Peter was. I just, <laughs> just had an image. I wonder what that looked like. <laughs> Peter? <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> Stature is not the same as authority. He, he was to be blamed. Verse 12, For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. 
And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Why was, why was Paul getting in Peter's face? He was being a hypocrite. That seems to be a consistent theme as to things that should be dealt with more strong, strongly. Right? And Peter, when he was around some people, he would act a certain way. But he would get around a different group, he would act an entirely different way. He was being a hypocrite. You know, the whole book of Galatians, basically, uh, the overall theme, not the whole book, but the overall theme is dealing with a church that got, was being caught up in legalism of going back under the law. And he was telling them you're free in Christ and, and you're, you're hearing a different gospel here. You need to stay uh, in the liberty wherewith we have been made free. And they were getting bound up in legalism and going back under the law. And a lot of that was, you know, under the law, they were required, the men were required to be circumcised. And so they were saying, no, you still have to do this. You still have to be circumcised in order to, to uh, you know, be right with God and so forth. And of course, he's contradicting that teaching and then you got individuals in the middle of it who were trying to play both sides of this. And uh, like I said, Peter was being a hypocrite as, long, as well as some other people. You go over to the fifth chapter of Galatians there. The fifth chapter, he continues this, and he uses some, some pretty interesting language here. Verse 11, Galatians 5.11, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, he was accused of that, he said, Why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who troubled you would even cut themselves off. Now, Paul, that's pretty graphic, isn't it? Did anyone notice that? He's talking about circumcision, and he's saying, these guys who keep pushing this, these guys who keep saying this, I wish they'd just cut themselves off. Let me read it from another translation in case you didn't get that. <laughs> Message Bible. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? That's what he's telling them. You're so concerned about the skin, you know, the foreskin. Why don't you just chop the whole thing off, dude? Who said that? Paul. We kind of look up to him, don't we? Kind of respect him. It's like, man, Paul knew his business. By the way, if you keep reading that chapter, chapter 5, you know what the subject is? Fruit of the Spirit. Remember? The fruit of the Spirit is love. <laughs> so was Paul acting in love here? Absolutely he was. He didn't forget about the leading of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. He didn't forget about the character of of a Christian when saying this. He was operating in that. He was operating in love. He was operating in kindness by being very direct and saying, dudes, just cut it off. If you're going to be saying this. If you're going to be, if you're going to be uh, preaching this. If you're going to be bringing people under this bondage and under these requirements of the old covenant. Just shut up or take care of it. And by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, amen. That's what's going on here. So is this a contradiction? No. Love is strong. Love is strong. It will do what's necessary. It will say what needs to be said. It'll do it in the best way possible. It, it, here he's trying to get their attention, obviously. right? He's using some dramatic words to let them know, knock it off, you guys. This is law. This is grace. We need to understand where we live today. Okay? 
And so it, it, it is not, uh, love is not concerned with self-preservation. It seeks the well-being of others. It is not good for you if I cower in the, in the face of evil and back down because of loud voices of those who don't believe. That doesn't help anyone. You're not helping your family and friends if you back down from a situation where you have an opportunity to stand up for what is right. Is a, a woman who's being abused in her home, physically abused by someone, is she wrong to leave? No. She, she hadn't broken love to get out of that situation. Love will do what's necessary. You know, if, uh, if someone breaks into your home with the intention of doing harm, well, with any intention, you know, <laughs> but, you know, that's all you know. Someone breaks into your home and you have family there and, and well, what would love do? You know, does love say, hey, how are you today? Or maybe it hits first, once they're tied up, once they're bleeding. Hey, how's it going? You know Jesus? He loves you, and so do I. Enough to knock you down. So love is always super sweet. No, it's not. Sometimes love will be in your face, knock you down. In extreme situations like this. Don't start hitting people after church. It's not, not what we're talking about. I don't know if you, you remember, but you read the end of the Gospels and Jesus was about to be betrayed. You remember Him having the conversation with His disciples about weapons? And, and He told them to get a sword and He said, we have one. He said, good, that'll be fine. <laughs> Jesus told them to get a sword. You know, we don't use swords today. For the most part, you know, I didn't see anyone come in with a sword. Modernize that. He said, bring some heat. <laughs> he did. Modernize that. Jesus told them to bring a gun. He said, they said, yeah, we got one. Loaded? Yep. Yeah. All right, you're good. Hey, make of that what you want, but I'm telling you, it's right there. Jesus told them to take it. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just saying some things are love that wouldn't on the surface be considered love. People think love is always just big fat smile and accepting of everybody and everything and no, never a confrontation, never an objection, never a disagreement. And I'm telling you, if we're operating in the love of God, there are going to be some disagreements. There are going to be some confrontations. I'm not a confrontational person, but it's a reality if we want to stand up for what is right. And true, if we really care about people, sometimes we've got to tell them like it is. I'm telling you, God will shoot you straight. Not shoot you. Don't go back to that illustration. Uh, God's not going to shoot you. <laughs> not going to kill you. God will tell you like it is. He loves you enough to do so. Even if there needs to be changes. And even if they're uncomfortable. It's like... Mm. not comfortable to hear that, but he loves me enough to tell me anyway. Why? So I can fix things and get going in the right direction. Love is patient and love is kind, and therefore we'll be strong enough to do what is right. One of the questions that I like to ask, 
I, I seek to be led by the Spirit in all areas of life. I want to follow the, the leading of God. One way to, to determine that is real simple. Ask the question, what would love do? What would love do in this situation? How would love respond to this person? How would love, uh, my love for God dictate my, my behavior in my life? How would my love for my wife and my family, what would it do? I don't mean I've always obeyed that perfectly. I know that I haven't. But what would love do? That is being led by God. That is being led by the Spirit. And sometimes, you know, I mean, forgiveness is big time. But love sometimes, you know what? It needs to be strong. It needs to not bend. It needs to be come from that deep place within that says, Lazarus, come forth. That says, I'm not okay with the way things are going. I am not happy about the present situation and scenario that's, that's playing out before us. And in the love of God, we're going to change it. In the love of God, we are going to stand and do what's right. Amen? Amen. Stand up with me today. Thank you, Lord. This love that we're talking about is true in prayer. What would love do in prayer? How does this play out in evangelism? What would love do towards those who are lost? Well, someone said it would share the gospel. What if they don't want to hear it? <laughs> Sometimes it would share it with their, share with them anyway. In the best way that you know how, the best way possible. How would love act? And this is what the Father is doing toward us. He loves us with a strong love, with a love that's real, a love that's genuine, a love that is deep, and a love that will move us in a, in, in a direction that we need to go. Let's take a few moments this morning. Let's have some conversations with our Father who loves us, the Holy Spirit who is with us. He wants to lead you and direct your life and help you to overcome and be victorious in every area of life. And it's no phony baloney, no, hot, no hypocrisy, no surface level stuff. This is the real genuine article. The love wherewith God, wherewith God has loved you in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship God. Let's take some time with Him now. I'll be back in a few minutes.